Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. You know what I'm about to say but I need you to hear me out. The Tortoise Shack relies on you to pay it forward and keep the podcast free for everyone. So if you can spare the few quid, it's less than the price of a pint nowadays and it helps keep the mics on, lights on, pay the bills and keeps the conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. There are thousands of you listening, we just need a few of you to join us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. The link is at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now. Podcasting has become very corporatized. Most podcasts in Ireland are fitting into only two camps, and we're kind of an outlier. We've always been activists first and foremost, and we also believe this medium should be respected and not turned into some advertising hoarding for corporate interests. So if you like what we do, if you get something out of it, the easiest way to give something back is to click that link, give us the 30 seconds it takes to join us. It is the easiest bit of activism you can do. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for liking, sharing. But please join us. That's enough rattling of the bucket for now. Enjoy the podcast. Well, look, you know, it's, it's this kind of thing, of the old Roman kind of thing, of divide and conquer, but it's not divide and conquer. It's divide and rule. Because if you can basically tell everybody at the bottom of the ladder that it's not the bankers, it's not the professional classes, it's not those people that essentially are trying to kick you out of your home or the vulture funds, it's the other guy, the bus driver, the guy in labour, the other guy that's in the same job as you are, because the working classes compete for resources, and he knows that. And as long as you're looking at your neighbour and thinking that your neighbour is the one that's doing you out of it, you're not looking at the banker. And he knows that. And that's the canard of political thinking that they put out there, that anybody who is engaging with social services, anybody who's engaging with hospital services for free, they villainise them because they want you to be suspect of them because they have this political ideology that taxation is a form of theft and it's your taxes. And it's not people that are basically funneling them out of the country. It's this bloke in a tracksuit. But it wasn't blokes in tracksuits that were in the country. It was blokes in suits. And do you think that when you put that... <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and Martin, we have to talk about Dublin. I know you've been giving out about Dublin for years. You're one of the people who's been kicking dirt at my city um, as long as I've known you. And... Uh, and I and I, yeah. I I continue to love I continue to love Dublin, but sometimes she makes it very 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 hard and very difficult. And this week has been one of those times. Um, we won't make light of the events that have happened. Far from it. We will get into some details. On, but I do want to point out before we start, it should go it goes without saying. But but everybody, what are the things we're going to talk about? Everything is under the cloud of, we hope, for a full recovery for that poor five-year-old child and the carer and the other people who are injured. We want that first and foremost. So I kind of want to say that at the outset, because if people, I don't, you know, we, we will not look away from what actually happened, but we want to talk about it in the wider context. And with that in mind, delighted to be rejoined on the podcast by the best reporter on the immigrant beat in the country. And the Dublin Enquirer's uh, award-winning journalist, Shamim Malikmian. Shamim, it's great to see you. Thank you for talking to us again. I know it's been a difficult few days for everybody, so I really appreciate it. And we are rejoined by our good friend, and Mr. Mr. Irish Electoral Election Projections himself, Harry McEvan Sonia. I am having a Martin day with the pronunciation of names and everything. I don't know what's happened here, Harry, uh, but it's good to see you again. If you were having it my day, you'd get the names I, right. If I was having your day, you would have said, it's just Harry and Shamim. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but Shamim, can I ask you personally, first of all, how you are holding up because it is a you know we've had situations whereby we saw the the burning out of tents a few months ago was i think it was 8 months ago in the the by people in the i pass um and now we see what happens on the streets and you've been in the you've been at the coalface you visited these protests and you felt unsafe before how have you felt this week yeah it's been a really tough week for everybody and for me in particular i think being an immigrant and covering the beat is like um, it's it's sometimes it's really close to home, you know. And I did feel unwelcome and unwanted, to be honest. And um, but um, but another thing that really adds to the to the upset is the fact that I was just around this time last year. I was writing about the protests in Eastwall and how that happened, and it feels like. It's like it's it's on loop, you know, it's um, repeating itself. And now in on a much broader kind of bigger scale, which is more dismaying. Um, so, so, yeah, that the fact that I think it was 30th of November that the article I did on Eastwell came out and then 
um, how is it that I'm once again doing this, writing this, and um, and it's even worse. Like, why is it even worse? And I think it's really important that we we you know understand that this is the thing that this didn't happen in a vacuum and it didn't happen overnight. And Harry, if I could come to you, you've spoken before about the creeping levels of of this and how it's been happening, and and also pointed at the idea that it's been largely ignored by certain sectors of our communities, depending on whether they were socioeconomically protected or they were in certain sectors of the media. How did you feel seeing this all play out? I know you were frustrated as well. Yeah, you saw the WhatsApps I sent you that night. Um, it's awful. I've never seen anything like this in, in Dublin. And uh, Shamim is dead right in that this represents, I think this is just one of the key points, this represents an escalation this isn't something that came from nowhere. This wasn't just a spontaneous outburst of, of well, <laughs> racism. Um, this is something that has been built deliberately for a very long time by people who have been trying to create such a moment. Um, and as you said, when it was, you know, things happening in Eastwall, or whether it was like things happening down in Samwith Street or in Clare there was this tendency of well it's just it's just the migrants it's just refugees this isn't affecting the vast majority of people in this country as they go about their day-to-day lives there was always i think an arm's lengthness to it uh, that people had as an attitude and i think we have to look at various things that contributed to that politicians and uh, media coverage deserve a, a significant degree of culpability i think not all of them and i would not i would not paint that as a universal brush but there was a lot of that is being like, this is something that is affecting them. The far right are doing what they're doing. And oh, it's bad and we don't like it, but it's all to do with the, the migrants. It's all to do with this. This isn't something that's going to affect us. And that was always nonsense. And I think people who have who know more about the situation or know more about the far right or have sort of read history or studied or engaged with extremism know that that is not what happened. And what we saw um, happen over the last few days was not something new it was a continuation and an escalation of something that's been brewing for a very long time and has not been taken seriously because oh you know nobody's going to vote for these people oh there aren't that many of these people none of that mattered none of that ever mattered it was always about what they could do and what their capabilities were to even have a relatively small group of people terrorize and attack and suffer almost no consequences when they were doing this to migrants, when they were doing this to libraries, when they were assaulting LGBT people, when they were going up and down the Shannon. It's all an extension of the same thing. And our failure to tackle it as a society, as a state, um, at that level has ultimately put us in a position where something like this could happen. I think it's important to point out as well that this isn't, you know, there, there seems to be a, a kind of a push to say, oh, this is working class communities. No, no, no. This this came from very on top. I mean, this came out of the Shannon, you know. It, it, there's no point in saying that this was not facilitated, condoned, the pathway laid down by people who were elected in this country. You know, Shamim, do you think the responsibility for this should go all the way to the top? I mean, policing is one part of it. Politics is certainly another part of it. Yeah, yeah. For it. we, I think we had the. It wasn't it the back and forth between Thomas Pringle and Healy Ray just before this whole thing happened, just shortly before that happened, and then, and then we have politicians, and even we have politicians at the top who say things that kind of sort of dog whistly throughout the throughout the year, and then when these things happen, obviously they always condemn it, which is good. Um, but then I think it's the language. That's sometimes being used and so important. And I remember, I think there is a like media coverage, and as I said, it's, it's so important. And we saw, we saw what happened. I don't know if we're talking to talk about it more, but we saw. Yeah, what they, they, no, no. Martin, well, I think if you Martin, can if, I come in, I want to make a point on this on the media frame. Shamim, you posted the, the 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 regulation. Do you mind just sharing the basis of that? What what that is for listeners' benefit of how media organizations have to operate. I think that's really important. 
Yeah, so there, there are different code of conducts and practices that the press should abide by. There's one by the National Union of Journalists. Basically, it relates to its members, fair enough. But there is one, the press council, that if you, if a, if a media organization is a signatory to it, they should abide by it and they can be held accountable if they breach it. So principle eight is that you can publish anything that would be likely to, to lead to hatred, discrimination of a bill. For someone based on their ethnicity, nationality, immigration status, you know, um, age, disability status, and things like that, and and we clearly saw saw that the right wing, one of the right wing platforms that has recently, you know, I think they 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 became signatory to the press council, um, they clearly um, breached or principle eight, and I would argue the principle on accuracy as well because the information was presented with no context and. It came out this person was naturalized citizen, and we know that you're heavily vetted as a naturalized citizen, and they were they were a naturalized citizen back in years ago. So, and yeah, it is, and I mean, we have to say that the press has to be held accountable. And I do think you know you can't turn around now at this stage and say left and right are the exact same. Oh, and wa- then, watch them try. And then point to a Lewis. <laughs> burnt out you know that's that's a that's a sea change you if you report that left and right are the same after what happened you're being irresponsible you're being totally irresponsible martin can i make a point on the on the organization that shamim is referencing one of the instigators one of the guys who tweeted all out everybody you know everybody in town 7 p.m enough is enough uh when they had their free speech conference in the rds recently just days before they encouraged people to go to the doll where they where they brought gallows, if you recall, that mm-hmm. that individual was sitting in the front row at that free speech thing. And the editor of that of that um organization that Shamim was mentioning said, I see he's here. I'll get to your question shortly. So, you know, they all know one another. They all they all link in with one another. They're all active together. We are joined on the podcast by Hazel Chu, Dublin City Councillor, and the only Lord Mayor I still actually have time for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hazel, don't you have time for yourself, Tony? Uh, don't you have time for yourself? I, then I'd have to t- then I'd have to admit that my Lord Mayorship has been a failure. So no, um, but look, it's it's great to see you again, and I know you've you've seen this firsthand for years. So can I just get your thoughts on how you felt watching the city that we do love, we continue to love, um, descend into chaos, and and how how it impacted you over the last few days. Heartbroken and terrified. Like I, I, I don't scare easily, and I, I think most people here on this podcast don't as well. With with some of the abuse they get, all of us here. Um, and listen, I, I grew up with a very tough mother who threw the triads down the stairs when they came to look for protection money. But I was fucking terrified. Sorry for the cursing. I, I was in town at the time, and I had heard what had happened in Parnell Street that morning, that afternoon, and it was heartbreaking. And it was heartbreaking, then followed by seeing some of the messages because I thankfully have uh, some friends who who uh, tell me what's happening within the various forums. And they said, listen, they're mobilizing their gathering, which we were all expecting. So because we were expecting that um, they were hoping something would kick off uh, around the city, around the country. And it, it was some it was a horrific incident that made them decide this was this was what they were going to latch on with. So when I was in town, I was in the south side of town and I saw the smoke. I smelled the smoke. I saw, uh, I heard the, the shouting even from far away. And all I can think of was fucking hell. Like I, I'm i in a privileged position. I have friends around me. I uh, am uh, surrounded by people I love here at the moment where I was. I was able to get home. All I can think of were the people who couldn't. So, so one of the things I, I did was I was talking to Mary Hazen, the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive, to make sure our, our shelters were okay. I was talking to uh, various migrant communities to to check in on them. And then my phone started ringing uh, from other people because once I checked in on, on the various migrant groups, they had kind of said, listen, is everyone okay? And a few people started calling me. One mother said that her child couldn't sleep at all because even though they weren't on cable street they they were a bit further away from it they could hear it so the children could hear it they get they can they can hear it they can smell it and they can 
they definitely understood the words, oh, get the fuck out of here, of our country, which was what was being chanted and shouted. So, and she said, listen, should I leave uh, our apartment? I said, no, don't leave. You're fine. Stay there. And then I get a text from her at two in the morning saying, I can't send them to school. Firstly, they haven't slept. And secondly, I'm terrified that something will happen to them at school. And when I spoke to some of the um, city, uh, some of the schools in the north um, inner city, uh, a lot of the principals said that people who have uh, migrant children or mixed race children just didn't show up for school that day. They they couldn't. They were too scared to. And it was horrific. It was just having to tell people, listen, you are going to be safe. You're going to be fine. These people don't represent us. Yet they're the ones that hear the chance that see the destruction and see the city burning right there in front of their faces. And it's it's hard. So so anyway, uh, heartbroken and fucking terrified is what I'm saying. And you're dead right, Hazel. And you've got to take it through the prism of children. And it was a very bad day for children. And it was worse if you were a non-white child in Ireland. I mean, how terrifying could it have been to be to be scared of two things, a crazy man with a knife and then to be scared of a mob who, who off the basis of protecting women and children, terrifying women and children, utterly, utterly terrifying them. Shamim, a lot of people didn't go to work. It's as simple as that. They didn't turn up for work and people were told not to come into work. I mean, that really is some statement about Dublin that people were told not to come into work because the city is no go. Other people you were talking to, Shamim, in that situation? Oh, yeah, I know that there was like, uh, I know my sister didn't leave the house uh, at all like yesterday. And um, and there, I think there were um, people telling themselves, oh, if you're an immigrant, do not go out and out of your house. I know the embassy of Algeria um, issued a notice and told that told people not to go to the city centre. Um, if this was a nationality, that was singled out, of course. Um, I had never seen this for Dublin. You guys know I love Dublin, and um, it's just so heartbreaking, you know. Um, can I just make a point? I, I second everything um, Hazel has said, because I know my children go to a very diverse school, and the classrooms were half empty, 20% empty, and certain, you know, as they move around and they realised... None of their friends who are from um, people, you know, families of um, di- different races, creeds, and and religions, they weren't there because the parents made those decisions. And then the emails came out later on saying that they totally understand it from the schools because the schools obviously didn't know how to react. Um, there is, I want to be clear on something. You know, not everybody who ran out was obviously a far right um, ideologue, but they were cert- there were certainly many of them who were, you know, up recreational um, recreational rioters or whatever term we want to put on it, but they were still very comfortable in jumping on the bandwagon and, you know, declaring Ireland has fallen, all of this type of stuff. But, but Harry, I would be interested to get your take on, and I know thankfully for your mental health here, don't spend much time on X these days, the old uh, Twitter.com, but, but much of the stuff that's come out as well, and I found it b- below it when you were trying to you were trying to be a, slightly more nuanced, was the classism that came out as well immediately um, now has become weaponized again, and we see this all the time. What, 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 what did you make of it, and how do you, how do you sort of reconcile that with, with seeing the, the carnage that we saw? Yeah, no, as you say, um, this is something that happens quite frequently whenever we see antisocial behaviour or disturbances in Dublin, or well, more generally in Ireland, but very specifically in Dublin, um, you'll see those kind of comments. And they were, I think, accelerated much more given what was happening. People were coming out and you're like, okay, cool, people will come out and condemn you know, this kind of behavior, but then they're saying, oh, this is all because they're all employed, they're all on the dole, or the people making jokes saying, oh, you know, oh, just let them keep going until dole day, and then they'll all have to go and collect their money, and, you know, scumbags and scangers and stuff like that, um, which really reflects two things. One, obviously, is people's general prejudice against working class people, but secondly, and this fits into it more, is Part of the reason that the far right have found ground in, and I'm not saying, because I, I do agree with what was said earlier, that it's not stereotype the far right are entirely working classes. is absolute nonsense. But it's also equally a denial of reality to pretend that there are, is, the far right have not found 
some foothold to some degree in some working class communities in this country. And a lot of that comes down to alienation, disconnection these people have, frustration, lack of opportunities, go on the list forever. And when you then see people reacting to that by bringing that class into it, by mocking those people for essentially the underlying material causes that negatively affect them, uh, that doesn't help anything. That makes the problem worse, if anything. The more you push people away, the more people are going to look for alternatives. Now, one can argue more broadly there's a failure of the left to fill that space, but that's a whole separate conversation. The fact is, is that not for everyone, not for the majority of people, but in a number of cases, the far right have been able to appeal to those people and bring them onto their side. And that's what I think we saw today. And we saw then in it's that reaction, as you say, Tony, which is totally unacceptable, totally classist, the attitude of people that basically writes these people off forever. And that's part of the cycle that leads to this in the first place. So seeing that response is just incredibly depressing because you're like, how are we going to move forward if this is how you continue to talk about people? If you continue to exacerbate those divides, obviously you push people further away from society obviously people are going to step in and fill that gap. And that's something that we know the fascists have been trying to do for a very long time and are, again, to a limited but significant enough extent succeeding. Um, mm. So, yeah, horrible to see that on top of everything else, obviously. It, it, it is worth remembering, Harry, that whilst it played out in working-class area of Dublin, that the narrative on this has been coming, as we said already, from the very top, through media, through a lot of acquiescence by media, that there is, you know, a tolerable amount of let's just ask questions. Well, I mean, this is where let's just ask questions has led to, and the realization that it's not about asking questions. The only reason they want to be on your shows, talking to you, or on the TV or radio, is to platform what they are, which is far right. And you're dead right, Harry. The vacuum is there. The government has given up on anything to do with poverty. It's not their responsibility. Um, they've ceded these areas to anybody who wants to come in. And, I mean, the, the protests were a combination of far-right criminals, known criminals, known drug dealers. All of them were there. It was a, 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 an, an absolutely mongrel crowd of people who were simply Spoiling for trouble. Spoiling for trouble. I just want, Martin, I'm going to disagree with you on 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 some of the the things you said on the basis that yes, there's a mix to this, and yes, there's there's a lack of political leadership. But I think Harry made an interesting point as well that the left has failed to actually to to try and fill that gap as well by simply not engaging with some of these conversations, simply staying away from it because we know our argument is right. Therefore, if our argument is right, everybody should just see how, should just see it for what it is, and we don't have to actually put the work in. And we have failed to put the work in, and 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 you know I know it's a failure of government. And and again, if we want to talk about some of the communities that are impacted, like East Wall. There's decades of neglect there. There's decades of poverty. There's decades of of lack of social mobility in these in these issues, and that's all very real. But to go back to and then to, and then to actually argue against myself and Hazel, I'd be interested to get your point on this. We got to remember, you know, we've gone from we've had a, a T shock who has said, you know, direct provision is is, is it's not as bad as tents. Should just leave. We've had you know we've had lots of dog whistles blown, whether it be but by independent groups. We've had dog whistles blown within government. We've seen. Even in the opposition, you know, sometimes a unwillingness to engage with su- with the, with the subjects as well. Um, and then they keep saying this, and they put it to you, Hazel. You you were Lord Mayor of Dublin. They keep saying, but we have all the resources we need. We clearly don't. We don't. We don't. And to to Harry's point about class, I'm like one of the things that really pissed me off. Well, loads of things pissed me off in the last few days, but the thing that pissed me off was that it there was a lot of conversation about Tuggery, about how this is only the north inner city. It, it's it's not the north inner city is a vibrant multicultural community that's amazing and and comes together at times and a lot of people point the fingers going this is just them living in the north inner city and the and the uh, gangs there and the young people running riot we've all seen the charge sheets um uh, um since uh, the arrest and. Those people came from all over. People came from Ranelagh, came from Wicklow, came from Donnemead. It was all over that the far right was able to call and able to mobilise. So I think it's really unfair that the North Industry always gets tarnished with, uh, with that. But to your point about Tony, depression about 
whether we're, we're not engaging and also whether we're dog whistling from all sides. Yeah, we are. We've seen reps that stand with uh, members of the far right and per- actually promote them so and promote them and promote what they say and we have seen people push back on on uh, hate crime legislation and hate speech saying it's a free uh, against freedom of speech uh, and these are supposed to be legitimate politicians and legitimate reps and even on the opposition on the government side there, there's not enough engagement we've all here been talking about it for years so like for for what Four or five years, ever since it started really brewing. I don't know if people remember Google and Gemma Dardy and, and uh, YouTube. I, that was the first um, uh, the far right protest that I really saw in the country. And that, that already had a number of phrases we continue to see. And we didn't heed what others were saying during that um, counter rally was that these people are here, they're going to grow and uh, ignore them at your own will and at your own peril. And we ignored them. We didn't just even ignore them. In some cases, some people stood by them and thought it was absolutely okay to promote them. And that's where we're at now. We've kind of normalized the behavior. So people think it's perfectly fine almost to have have a far right, which which is not only baffling, but it it's scary. Yeah, we, we also have to talk about policing and we must talk about policing. Um, all of us here will have heard that very scary uh, message that went out to these people saying, you know, get tooled up, get balaclavaed up and come in and kill people was what it said. I mean, we all heard that. Why didn't the guardie do anything and when i look at the the video of that poor garda who was isolated and and he i mean that i was just thinking that man could be so easily killed so so easily killed so the failure just wasn't on the public it was a failure to the guardy themselves it was a failure of management Hazel, you think it was a failure? I mean, to me, I can't see it as anything other. I I think if you have the commissioner going out a month, what two months ago? When when did he go out to say that the far right is, is a minority and that we don't have to that or that uh, it's not an issue? When, when he went out to say that, it kind of confirmed all our fears that there there is a failure to prepare here. So I, I would like to highlight the guardian and the night. I've been saying this a lot. Is that the Guardi get a lot of flack and the, the ones I've spoken to that have been out on the night, that have colleagues out on the night that got injured, I've like, fair fucks to them. They, they have been there on the front line trying to hold firm while their resources and recruitment have has been down. And this falls back then on on um, Drew Harris. I, I'm not going to mince my words on that. I Will I be going out to ask for him to resign and the minister? I don't think we need to play that into the far right hand. But I do think when this all dies down, there needs to be a reckoning there in terms of, well, what the hell are you guys doing? How have you not managed to prevent and prepare for this? Are you going to take this seriously now? And if not, then maybe you should think about your position and or, and pass it on to someone who will consider this a priority. There are others in the Gardaí that considers this a priority. I, I have had the pleasure of working with them when I was in the Mansion House. So I think a, a strategy, a, a, a proper strategy on how to tackle this is needed. Instead of saying, right, on the night, there's going to be issues, we'll bring in water cannons and we'll, we'll tackle it then. There has to be preventative measures which we haven't haven't uh, gotten to. I, I just want to, um, again, go to a couple of disappointments like it was really sad to see the Muslim sisters of era having to cancel their um their super run. It just showed you the danger. I know um uh, Dr. Umar Al Qadri held an online meeting where they warned people not to uh, go out, basically not to leave their homes. They warned the Muslim community to, if you don't, it was real, don't make any unnecessary journeys. Kind of message went out there. We've seen all of this happen, and yet in the context of the tragic events that happened when that man wielded a knife to try and kill children it was a community that is really diverse that came together to stop him it was a community of in the heart of the inner city that is very much um, a mixed race mixed ethnicity mixed uh, religion and you know ultimately we all saw the 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 and to, to quote Chow himself he just swung and hit him with all his with all the strength he could summon with the with the helmet that he had. 
Siobhan Kearney, who lost her brother Liam in the stardust, formed a cordon above the man to, to wait until the emergency attendance. We have my friend Claire O'Connor was at the Stardust Inquiry to because her mother was a victim in the Stardust to give evidence and she carried the child out screaming into the road because she was, you know, she she just acted. People came together and showed that solidarity and then they pissed all over it a few hours later because they decided to weaponize it. I, Harry, can I, can I ask you, as someone who I think is much more nuanced than I am, right? You said to me that night you were very upset about the uh, the, the events. We've we've had some difficult times in the last few weeks. Particularly, let's be let's tell the truth. You know, we've been talking about what's been happening in Gaza. We've been watching these events, and then you realise that domestically, it doesn't take much for us to tip into chaos. I mean, you've been telling me this for years. I kind of knew it was the case, but I kind of think also said, "Ah, oh, no, we'll never go there." No, and I think look, and this. So way back at the start of this conversation, you mentioned about the. Telegram stuff, and I think this is this is this is interesting and ties into this, but also ties into what you asked Hazel about. Um, there is absolutely no way that this was a surprise to anyone, including the guards. Those groups are so deeply compromised. Like you can go on, like you don't need to look very hard to find the contents of those things being posted around on social media. And there's lots of people who have access to them who are left-wing activists or journalists. We know all of this. There is absolutely 0% chance that the guards do not have access to those channels. Um, All of the organizing was done openly and in public. And we've seen that done with all of the previous events that we've seen with the far right. Um, So in a sense, I think there is surprise for most ordinary people going about their day who don't, you know, really engage with this stuff because God, why would you? Um, but I think for people who know something like this happening, perhaps the way it manifested or the speed at which it manifested was perhaps surprising, but it shouldn't have been. Um, and it's really shocking to see again that what we've seen is a consistent, I'm going to keep hammering this point, but a consistent failure of action, a consistent failure to take this seriously. These guys are not geniuses. They are not organizing some like highly secret underground, they think they are because they're all LARPers, but they're not. They're doing this in like very obvious ways. You went onto social media without even touching their like telegrams and discords and whatnot. Like you could see something was going to happen. You could, they were very publicly calling for people to go into town. And the failure to have a, like, I appreciate, you know what you're saying, Hazel, like the guards were kind of scrambling to deal with it and they, they struggled quite badly. But why was there not a plan in place beforehand? They've known from before, like they, they've, and we've seen them fail to contain them at Sandwich Street. We've seen them fail to deal with it properly at the libraries. We've seen so many failures on this. And I am going to say it, Drew Harris should resign, um, not even because of the events of what, what happened this week, but because this has been a consistent failure. They have consistently downplayed and diminished and ignored all of the warning signs, all of the previous things that have happened, and then are essentially turning around and doing the shocked Pikachu face that they were unable to control um what happened and that is a colossal failure and needs to be taken extremely seriously and whatever about the minister i think that's probably a separate conversation but you cannot have a police force that's been warned so many times as hazel said that consistently downplayed this that um a couple of years ago was like oh well it's all the extreme left and the extreme right are just as bad as each other and now i do think perhaps it is is change the commissioner of guests already going to fix that? I don't know. I think there's deeper cultural issues in there perhaps as well without saying anything that might get anyone in trouble. But this has been a catastrophe and it's a miracle that nobody uh, else was hurt, that nobody, uh, uh, that the more, da- more damage was not done than it was. Um, you, you can't have this. You cannot have this on a scale. And the thing is, this was not something that couldn't have been policed as we saw uh, last night when some people tried to come back and, and do a redux. So the failure to be prepared for it um, is a catastrophe when I think anyone who was paying attention could see something like this was going to happen. And the failure to have a plan in place was is just really damning, I think. And I think you're dead right about Drew Harris. I think you are, Harry. I think somebody has to be held accountable for this within the Guardi. But I also think that within politics, 
Um, there's been an easy ride given to people who can just literally say some really awful stuff. And we've seen it over the last two years, the most awful stuff being said in the Dáil. But also within media, um, those who put out the narrative, nothing to see here, must now take accountability for saying that in the first place and now turn around and say, well, actually, we were wrong. Uh, on that, I'm, I'm just going to say, like, there's two elements to that, right? One of them is, I think, related to the organization that must not be named that we were discussing earlier. And I, I'm not going to give any further opinions on that. Cause you know that meme of Jose Mourinho where it says, you know, I prefer not to speak. If I speak, I will be in big trouble. Yeah, I'm just going to leave that aside. No accountability, no self-awareness, no ability to put their hands up and say, wow, guys, I got that wrong. And that's all I need to do. And just be better in future. You know, learn from this. You what is it that is preventing you from even, you know, you can admit, I got this wrong and wow, I'm going to change my views based on this because of the, again, the reality that is now in front of me. And we've seen this pullback from that. And we saw there's a terrible article in The Guardian as well. So it's not like, you know, it's not like foreign coverage is much better of just this, oh, wow, how could this happen, guys? This is so sad. Completely missing all of the underlying things that have been happening. Um, can I make a make a point then, Hazel and Shamima? I'd like you to maybe comment if you feel if you feel able to. Um, but it's in, it's important, Harry. You know, only a few days. I think it was Monday. Kira Kelly said it used to be religion and politics we weren't allowed to talk about. Now it's immigration and transgenderism. That's in the that's in the Irish Independent on on Monday, a few days before this happened. We know that this has been happening across the board in terms of you know media commentators. David Quinn writes the same. Let's have a conversation about immigration article every three to six months. It's the same bloody thing rehashed with a with a new opener, and we know that this is where this is where this has come from. So, you know, we get told, you know, how dare you? You know, you guys are biased, and uh, yeah, we are. We're absolutely biased. We're biased in favour of being um, against standing against anti-immigrant sentiment, standing against bigotry and racism. We don't care if if you call us biased, but but um, Hazel, you're not in your head. How do you feel about the 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 role that that's played in in how it's led to these these events now? Like I I know everyone claims there there's needs to be balance and there needs to be both sides, but when something is so wrong, there is no both sides. When you're a racist, there's not another side of that that you get to explain why you're a racist. So when you're burning the city down, you don't get to explain, oh, I'm burning the city down because of this. There's no the coverage saying that there there are reasons, there's both sides, there's things that we shouldn't be, uh, that things people can't talk about. It's because they're not up for debate. Someone's human rights and someone's ethnicity is not up for debate for you. So you, you want to talk about immigration, talk about uh, uh, um, reasons, talk about government housing policy, talk about all the other things that are contributing to to your anger, to to the issues. Don't blame it on the immigrants that that uh, are there holding up your essential services. So, and and commentators, and I've had my fair share. I know everyone else here have where they come out with really bashy things to say. Well, listen, like um we're not allowed to talk about immigration. We're not allowed to talk about transgenderism. Why should you be allowed to talk about that? That is someone's human rights. We're not debating whether you have a right to exist. Why do you get to talk about it? So, and and their claim to say it brings balance is just, I'm, I'm sorry, bullshit. Shamim, if I could come to you on this, and it, it really struck me from what I could see online, and I don't know as much as as you and Harry know, I certainly don't. But the the inf- the the actual influence from outside of this country, like I saw a huge amount of British Army and Navy people weighing in on this with the most awful commentary, um, Americans, Trumpism. Um, you know, is is there a pattern to the 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 support that's coming from the outside? I mean, I just thought to me the intersection of of working class areas in Dublin, squaddies in 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 the UK, and Trumpers in America—it's just so strange. It's so very strange. 
Yeah, I think Americans definitely were all over it. But we know that the, one of the biggest influences is, um, you know, Tommy Robinson. When Tommy Robinson, every time he says something, and he was all over it, he was encouraging and he was sh- sharing it. But one of the, every time he sends a message, every time they're f- completely forwarded to all of the other like Irish telegram groups. And um, and in, in, we saw also Conor McGregor, um, he's leading. Um, but the UK influence is absolutely there, uh, as we said in the, the T- Tommy Robinson case. And and they are these guys. Um, I think you guys were mentioning a little bit about um, appealing to the working class. And as you said, no, 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 it's not true that the most of the leaders that are actually completely not met, not um, working class. And every time that there is debates about fighting their election, for example, and bringing legislation to fight their election, you see that they would um, openly oppose it and share things saying this is basically amounts to communism and stuff like that. And um, another thing was that um, they do show their contempt for the working class when it came to anti-immigrant angle with Joseph Puska's example. They were saying, constantly saying this person didn't have a job. This person was on the dole. And so this is, you, you know, if if you if you want to appeal to this case. But I think people sometimes it gets lost. They're uh, completely pro landlord um, stance, pro you know, anti-working class stance completely gets hidden out because obviously they need to attract and draw in uh, working class people. And yeah, it's it's completely not right to say that these are working class people and, and working class people are necessarily um, victims to um, to be attracted to this. This just people are obviously disfranchised and they are taking advantage of that. Uh, Hazel, we know for a fact that it's not working class because there are several businesses within the area who have capitalized on racist comments over the past few years. I mean, this is not just working class. And then when you see the business community attacked, do you think the business community should be holding those within their own community who have who have poured petrol on these flames over the years that they should be held accountable for what they have said? I think everyone has a part to play here, and I, I think some are not playing their part that they should. So, and if you look at the business community, you look at the various community, and, and to your point, Martin, I, I hate the fact that once something like this happens, people say tuggery, say working class, say certain communities, because it's just it 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 adds fuel to the fire, and also it's not true. So and to and your your question of whether uh, business communities um, business communities landlords <laughs> you you all have a a part to play in this so because it, it's the, this a community uh, uh, this this buildup of ignoring the issue of standing by certain comments of promoting certain uh, behavior that has led us to this so absolutely I, I think um, should. The business communities and the landlords and uh, uh, various people be held accountable. Yeah, I think, I think also Martin to that point, there's some high-profile people who maybe run businesses who've been become absolute dickheads. Let's be honest, you know, um, have become minor celebrities online by causing trouble, making appearances on the likes of GB News, and thinking and mistaking that for um, for actually fame and ridiculous ideas like that. And you know what? Basically, their influence doesn't go any further than their phone screens, really. But but for the for but we have to also countenance that and understand that there's people's who are a bit more clever than that. There are pulling levers. There are out in the suburbs of Dublin. There are stoking rage. That are running in local councils um, in the in the in the in early next year. Like one of these guys is, is putting himself forward for for um, a place not not too far from where I'm sitting here, only a few kilometres away. He's going to run, and um, and when he does, I will tell people about him. And we will talk about it then, but we won't name him right now. But but on the, I suppose if I can bring this to an end, we've gone a, gone probably a bit longer than, than anticipated, and I'm glad we had the conversation. But but, I, Hazel, you said that you the, on Twitter today, you said that you continue to be proud of Dublin. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my friend Claire O'Connor mentioned that when she was there and on the site of that those awful events, the community came together. And Shamim, last night you said to me when uh, you said to me, "Don't worry, I still love Dublin." 
Yeah, we know Martin doesn't love Dublin, but he lives in Mead, so that doesn't matter. Harry, you in your bones, you you, you still love the city. Can can we? Can anybody give me causes for hope? Um, and maybe I don't know if you've got something or or hope or something that you'd like to see come out of this, Harry. Maybe we'll go to you first, if that's okay. Well, like I think for for hope, I think Hazel nailed it. What we've seen is is the behaviour of a very small group of people who are still capable of doing a lot of damage, but does not reflect the vast vast majority of people in this city. We saw how people um, responded to the to the initial attack. Um, we've seen the incredibly positive response then from people when those people's names and faces emerged and the level of support that they've received um, from from the community and not just in Dublin but, but across the whole island has been has been has been just amazing to see um, the support being given you know and for, for the for the victims which is some of the initial attack which is again something that's been completely erased by the by the far right's actions ironically um, so there is still you know it, it's very easy to fix on this as being a huge uh, problem and it is, but it reflects such a small part of the city. And what we've seen in the days following, and in the days of, of you know, people looking out for each other in town, people getting each other out, advice on you know what to do and how to how to you know keep safe. That reflects the majority of people in the city. That reflects the vast vast majority of Dubliners. Um, and we can't let a tiny group of people who, yes, are appalling and, yes, need to be dealt with and, yes, need to be stood up to and opposed at every opportunity. But we cannot allow that to color our perception of 99.99% of people who live here, who are good people, who we saw respond to this um, as humans would and with that you know, positivity and community. Um, and that we cannot let that get lost. Shmeem. Um just because of a few people. Shmeem, if, to, it, you can do better than Harry. He's he's after giving us all a kumbaya answer, you know. But you know he doesn't. <laughs> I'm sorry, Harry. I'm sorry. Um, I think there's hope in that. I think it was a push, and it was like a wake up call to um, many organisations. Like I, I hope Dublin City Council, especially, um, to do more on integration instead of just holding events that are like not enough i guess and not doing much on the ground impact um i think it was a good wake-up call and i am i have to say i'm very i was kind of surprised to see that the statement came out of dublin city council there was no kind of condemnation of the racist um protest and writing and there was no kind of reassurance offered um to migrant communities but but i think it's still a good a wake-up call for them and I, i'm hoping that it's going to be a, a cause for change and for good and um and i think dublin um if you ever like i went to ucc and i think um when i when i'm back in dublin i am a I have this, um, there's, there's something different about Dublin, the diversity, the, the spirit, the, the inner city. It's something special about Dublin, and it, which I think uh, no one can steal it from the city. Thank you, know? you Shameen, because that's why, me, that's why I love you. That's why I love you. <laughs> Hazel. Shameen's right. Like me and her have talked about the integration and inclusion strategy of DCC, which is still not in place. It's only framework that um, that we did up three years ago, and we're still waiting on the national um, strategy. I know this sounds like a bit of a tangent on your hope question, but bear with me. Um, like, there's a lot of people scared on the ground right now. Having an event to to that. Um, uh, inclusion that's an activity might take their minds off things but what really helps is knowing that from their council from their government level that that fear they have that it won't last forever that there's things in place in in terms of proper integration and inclusion that will help not them but their kids because i can tell you a lot of this has to do with Back to being a parent, like the from from the horrific stabbing to then kids not being able to go to school as a parent of a six year old, I find it terrifying. But what I think of is, what can we do better for them? So your hope 
point for me is what can I do better for my mixed race kid that comes from a third generation immigration background? What can I do for the other kids in her class? And having a proper strategy for, for our local authority, for others, is essential. But also having the government and the guards and various organisations and the Minister of Justice understand that this is not going away. That's what's needed. And that that is my bit of hoping to that we can try to change these people's uh, understanding of what's going on because we're coming into elections this is the time when people will listen and i'm hoping i'm i'm hopeful that we can try to actually change things by by saying listen either change it or else we'll push you out of here so like if that if that needs to be done but i guess also, I, I know you tried to make Harry cry by saying his come by out message, but he's he's right. A lot of this has to do with how do we support people now? Like I, I, I said there that I'm heading into town now because I want to go and say hi to the staff in Arnott's. I want to say hi to a few of the traders I know. Like a lot of this is about making sure you're there to support the community, but also those who you know that come from a migrant background, check in on them. I dropped into our... Our provision centre in Charleston Road uh, this morning, and the lads there were were terrified. They, like they were there saying one of the guys that work in Google got attacked. So and they just they were we we had a chat and they were I told them what what happens now, and people were a bit more assured. And that's the thing we need to be able to take time to reach out to people now. And I'm hopeful that we're we're going to be able to do that because we have some really good community activists, we have some really good people that can um, hopefully support people. That's not very helpful. Sorry. Hazel, Shmame, Harry, I think we all agree that we want is a city for everybody to live in. And I think you've all nailed that down, that that's what we want is a livable city of Dublin. And I'd, I'd like to thank you all for your comments. If I could just add one of my own. This wasn't unforeseen. This is 30 years in the making. We warned about this when the gentrification of Dublin started. And this is the end result of that process, where you now have an unlivable city, parts of it ghettos, ghettoized, and the other parts behind locked gates, and we call them quarters. Well, that's what's happened to the city, and we need to rethink the city we want to live in. Tony, no, I, I again, I disagree with you on 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 Dublin city centre. I think Dublin is still a wonderful place. I know you feel there's parts of it that are no go, but I will forever stand up and and think that's overwhelmingly good. I'll tell you how good over people are overwhelmingly good before, and this is true. Afaf Al Najjar is in a war zone in Gaza. And, and I wake to a WhatsApp from her to ask me if I'm okay because she saw the scenes in Dublin city centre and asked me, Tony, I hope you and I hope you and the girls are okay. And I just thought, oh, I'm absolutely fine. And your home is a crater now. So please don't be concerned about my, about me. Uh, uh, they weren't coming for straight white middle class men, by the way. We, we know that. So, so no, it was, it was, people are overwhelmingly good. And I do believe the good will, the good will win out and the good of Dublin will win out. So don't mind Martin. We, 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 uh, up the dubs and, uh, and, and let we, we roll on. Thanks. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Hazel. And thanks, Shamim. Not so much Judah fella. And we'll talk to you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.